Hello, 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 and welcome back to TTC While LGBT. I am your host, Danielle Marie, and I'm really excited to be back again this week. So the episode I was actually going to do for this week did not turn out the way I planned, but it is information that I do want you to know. So I did write a entire an entire blog post on it and it is going to be linked or it's going to be on my website. It'll be linked down in the show notes. I was going to do a whole episode on all the different fertility acronyms that are out there, which is a ton. And I feel like it is information that you need to know, but as an episode, super dry content. And that's not what we're here for. We're here for, I don't want to say the fun stuff because some of it's nitty gritty, But it was just a little, it was definitely dry, me just kind of like reading off letters and then telling you what they are. So (laughs) I just figured that is something that um, is easy, that information is easier to consume by just reading it. So that is going to be linked down in the show notes on my blog. I would highly recommend bookmarking it because it is something that you'll probably have to go back to time and time again. I know I had to throughout my entire journey. I feel like at every stage, there's always been something new that I had no idea what people were talking about and I had to look it up. So that is there. I also not only gave you the acronyms, but I also gave you kind of an idea of what everything is. So you're not like, okay, now I know what it means or I know what the acronym stands for, but I don't know what that actually means. So I kind of broke that down for you too, just to make that a little bit easier. So that is that. I hope you guys enjoyed my first episode, uh, the journey to where we are today with my personal TTC journey. I had a lot of fun. I'm loving all the love that I'm getting so far. I am up to 54 listens. So that's just really exciting. And I just want y'all to get as much information out of this as possible. But also I want you to feel like this is just a community that we can continue to build. So without further ado, let's let me tell you what we're actually doing today. (laughs) So today we are talking about all of your medical options when it comes to TTC. I was also going to lump in adoption But there's so much information out there about adoption, and I kind of want to give it the attention it deserves. So that is something that I will be covering in the next episode. I will be covering uh, adoption and foster care. So I like did a deep dive on adoption because that isn't something I've I, I have experienced kind of looking into before, and the amount of information that I would want to give to y'all is just a whole episode in itself. So we're going to just stick to the medical options for this episode. And then next week, I will be bringing y'all all of the adoption and foster care information that you would need if that is the route you want to go. Without further ado, let's get into your first option, which is called an ICI, which is an intracervical insemination. So pretty much what this is. So this is what you would do at home if you were doing an at-home insemination. For this An intracervical insemination is when you use, it's essentially what, this is what people have in mind when you talk about the turkey baster method. I I hate it, but 
I, that's the best way for me to describe it. So essentially you take a syringe and you inject the sperm right into the vaginal canal. This, this way is going to be the most similar to just standard heterosexual sex. The semen is inserted into the vag- vaginal canal and the body does the rest to let the sperm swim up into the cervix, find that egg in your uterus and fertilize it. So you can either do this with frozen sperm that you can just get from a bank. I will say that with this option, some banks do need a doctor sign off and some don't. So if you don't have a doctor or your doctor doesn't think it's a good idea and doesn't want to sign off on it, I would just find those sperm banks that don't need that doctor sign off. And honestly, if you just Google it, they're it's right there for you. (laughs) I know we personally used a, we used a sperm bank that didn't require a doctor sign off because we were in, in between doctors at the time. And so, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too terrible to uh, hunt down that information. The other option that you have is to do a known donor. So a known donor is someone that, you know, so I know in some situations, Um, People have had their best friend offer to donate or a brother-in-law or a uncle, you know, someone, a friend, you know, someone in your world that you already know. But a known donor can also be a stranger willing to help. And I know that that sounds creepy in itself. But there are a bunch of websites out there. I know I know that there's an app called Just a Baby, and you can find known donors on there. There is a website that I can't think of the name now, but I'll link it in the show notes. That is another way to find a known donor. One thing I want to let you know about, or there's actually a couple things that I want you to know about known donors. One, they cannot charge you for their donation. So you cannot pay for their donation. It is illegal in the United States. I don't know about laws in other countries, but in the United States, it is illegal. They can charge you for shipping if you guys aren't close to each other and they have to like ship it, which there is... There are websites that provide the um, necessary shipping things that you need to get the sperm safely from point A to point B. So I will also link that uh, website down below in the show notes. So that's number one. They cannot charge you for it. They can charge you for shipping, but they can't charge you for the actual specimen. Uh, Two, I highly suggest that you talk to a lawyer just consult a lawyer just because any contract you drop with this donor is unfortunately not actually legally binding. The only thing that is legally binding about the donor giving up their rights to your child is second parent adoption, which cannot be done until after the child is born. So I would just kind of consult the lawyer to see if there, there might be something out there that I don't know that can protect you whilst the baby is still cooking. But all I know is that to have full protection and full rights of your child as the non-bio parent 
second parent adoption is the way that you have to go. If the other partner is biological, biologically having the child, because in any other circumstance, you would both have to adopt the child. The things that you are going to need for your at-home insemination. Uh, the first thing is what you're going to need is sperm. The one thing if you are doing frozen sperm or just information to have is that when you're doing an ICI, the sperm does not have to be washed, but it can be and still be safe. Whereas with the next option, it can't be unwashed. It has to be washed. What that means is essentially when a sperm is washed it's done in a it's done in a lab where essentially they use a centrifuge to separate the actual sperm from all of the nasty stuff around it so for an ICI it doesn't have to be washed most of the time especially if you're doing frozen sperm it is going to be washed it is still totally safe to do it that way whereas with the next option unwashed is totally a no-go not safe at all so you just want to keep that in mind so the next thing you're going to need is a syringe. I highly recommend the Mosey Baby uh, just because it doesn't have, you want to get a syringe that doesn't have a tip at the top because the sperm is going to get stuck in there and then you're not going to be able to get everything out because obviously you want as much out as possible. I mean, I know, I understand it only takes one sperm, but you want to increase your chances as much as possible. So you want all that stuff to come out. So I highly recommend the Mosey or something very similar. The uh, next thing I recommend is for frozen sperm, I highly recommend gloves because you're going to be dealing with dry ice. I just want you to be safe. Dry ice is no joke. I don't want, I don't want anyone to get hurt just trying to make a baby. <laughs> so I highly recommend having some sort of gloves on hand when you're handling the sperm vials before they thaw out and stuff like that. So just please be very, very, very careful. The next thing, this is something where I don't know, I'm, it isn't a product that I would use, but I do want to recommend it because some people do have found it helpful, have found it did help them make a baby. And that is pre-seed. So this is essentially a type of lube that doesn't allegedly doesn't kill sperm because standard lube does. I honestly, I have seen studies say that even pre-seed has lessened the potency of or slowed down the sperm, which could cause them to not be able to get to where they need to go to make that baby. So I would just take my advice with a grain of salt, do your own research, just do not use regular lube. Honestly, I feel like the body is a great source of doing that on its own. And um, yeah, and then just kind of like get in there. <laughs> Why am I so weird today? I don't know. And the last thing you need is an orgasm. So an orgasm causes a vacuum effect to bring the sperm closer to the cervix. So this is gonna be really helpful like once the sperm is injected, just give yourself an orgasm, have your partner give you an orgasm, so then your body will naturally suck up that sperm. Now you have all the things you need. Now I need to tell you some things that you need to know about this whole process. Number one, it's going to be messy. 99% of the stuff that is in injected into 
your body is going to come back out. So I highly recommend, especially if like you're doing this in bed, I mean, I feel like that would be the most comfortable spot. I know some people, when they use known donors, they do it in their car. I just recommend having some sort of like towel or something to be able to catch anything that comes back out. I would also recommend for, especially if you are doing it during the day um, and you have other things to do, I would um, just wear like a panty liner or something like that, just so you are not super uncomfortable the rest of the day because it will be wet down there. The next thing I want you to know is that there is nothing sexy about this and that's okay. It's awkward and if it's something, it's laughable and you and your partner should allow each other to laugh at the situation because it is a little bit silly. It's not conventional. It's just not sexy. And then the third thing is also just remember to take it easy and laugh because I understand it is stressful because you want to try to work and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you being completely uncomfortable and stressed out when it's just you and your partner, it's not worth it. Be with each other, understand that this is going to be awkward and just kind of, it's just an experience you're going to get through together. So there's just laugh it off and don't just don't take yourselves too seriously because at the end of the day, it's not that deep. <laughs> All right. So the next option that I have for you is the IUI. So this should be done with a doctor, midwife, reproductive endocrinologist, some, some sort of medical professional. And I say this because I have been in TTC groups where people talk about how they do their own IUIs and to me, that is terrifying because I have done the research because when we were doing at-home inseminations, these people were kind of talking about how an IUI could be pretty simple to do at home. And I was, you know, researching it myself and the amount of information about infection and how so many things can go wrong with an IUI with infection and just injury that I would just highly recommend leaving it to the medical professionals because it's just not something you want to risk on your body because if you risk it and something does happen, that could be the end of that fertility journey. Then you might kind of have to pivot and for some people that might be a risk they're willing to take, but for me... Personally, I think I would never want to risk something like that on my body, especially going through something like this, where it is super sensitive and super personal and to just risk it with infection and kind of almost just kind of eliminating your fertility altogether is just a really, really scary thing. Sorry, I will step down off my soapbox now on that. I, it just makes me really nervous when people think that they can do what doctors can do. So please seek out a doctor for the next three options that I, medical options that I have for you. Um, so with a, with the IUI, you can use, uh, most common is frozen sperm, especially now that you are working with a doctor, they can sign off on any sperm bank that you decide to go from. One of the episodes I am going to do is how do you pick a donor? 
I'm going to go through pretty much all of your sperm bank options and kind of what you get with each one. So that is going to be something that will be coming up in the following weeks. If you have any questions about that, please send an email to ttcwellgbt at gmail.com or you can slide into my DMs on Instagram at Danielle Marie IG. Sorry, shameless plug right in the middle of the episode. How rude of me. So <laughs> uh, frozen sperm is going to be probably your top option. You can use unknown donor, but the known donor has to go through a ton of testing and Uh, the sperm needs to be isolated for six months before it can be used in any sort of procedure. So if you have the time to wait, great. Then, and you have a known donor and that's going to just save you a little bit of change. Awesome. Then I would go that way, but just keep in mind that it is going to affect your timeline. Like you can't just be like, yeah, I have a known donor. And then, and then you think, okay, we can jump into this right away, but you do need that time to have them test everything and then isolate the sperm for six months. And I believe that is part of the testing because they're like isolating it to make sure that nothing nothing comes up on the tests that they can't initially test for right away. So let's break down the procedure of an IUI. A speculum is used to create a path for a catheter, which is going to hold all of the sperm. So the speculum, the speculum is placed inside the vagina, and then the catheter is inserted uh, through the speculum, and the catheter is inserted all the way up into the uterus. So the it's an inner uterine insemination. So once it gets into the uterus, the sperm is released, then everything is taken out. Normally the doctor has you sit for about 10 to 15 minutes. So things you need to know about IUIs, this is just based on my experience and Guys, I'm not a doctor. I probably should have prefaced this at the beginning. I'm not a doctor. I don't have a medical degree. This is just, I'm just giving you the information that I have based on my own experiences and the experiences of people around me. So, but things I feel that you should be aware of that might come up in this doing an IUI is that it might be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable just to have the speculum inserted into their vagina. I would just warn you that that does happen. I've had doctors who it's been uncomfortable with, and I've had doctors where it hasn't been uncomfortable and it's been totally fine. So it it honestly, experience to experience is different. So person to person is going to be different, but yeah, just kind of keep in mind that it might be uncomfortable. Another thing is that there, you might have some cramping when the sperm is being inserted. I always have your uterus just kind of like contracts a little bit when the sperm goes in. Uh, Another thing that I would highly advise is taking Tylenol or Advil or Motrin or something like that, like an hour before the procedure, because that will definitely help with the cramping and then just any soreness that might come from just having the speculum inserted or anything like that. So, and that isn't going to affect any, any of your fertility or anything like that. It's just going, it just pretty much is going to prepare your body to kind of maybe dull that on that discomfort a little bit. All right. So that is all I had on IUI. So now we are going to jump into IVF and reciprocal IVF. I do mention both because I know there are some people out there that don't know that reciprocal IVF is an option. So let's break down 
what the difference between IVF and reciprocal IVF are. So in IVF, eggs are taken from partner one, eggs are fertilized into embryos, embryos are put back into partner one. Whereas in reciprocal IVF, eggs are taken from partner number one, eggs are fertilized into embryos, embryos are put into partner two. So reciprocal IVF essentially is just giving both of the partners in the in the relationship a part in the conception of their kids. And reciprocal IVF is the way that my spouse and I eventually went in our journey. And it is something that I am super grateful that my spouse was willing to do for us and our family because going through any sort of infertility, like fertility treatments, it's no joke. And it is something that you do have to not only commit your time and money to, but you also commit your body. And so, I mean, to me, they're, they're a freaking superhero for wanting to do that. Cause I mean, honestly, like I don't mind going through all of the medical intervention or anything like that, but to know someone else is willing to do it for me is it's awesome. But for whatever reason, if there's any medical issues that you have that you can't do reciprocal IVF, IVF is still a really great option if one partner is in really good health and can handle the entire process. So yeah, it's just kind of something that you have to like sit down with your partner and figure out for yourselves yourselves if this is the route that y'all want to go. And that is something that is so huge in any sort of fertility journey is that the communication between you and your partner has to be extremely open and extremely real 1000% of the time. Because the second you stop communicating or stop being truthful, that is when things can go sideways. And you want both of you to be on the same page at all times, because this journey is hard enough. Don't get in each other's ways or you know, if something isn't the way that you want it to be, please speak up because the only way that your partner can help you is if you're speaking up. Sorry, I just went on a tangent, but <laughs> let's get into the, to the IVF or sorry, the procedure. Actually, I was just going to get into the procedure of the transfer once the embryo is already made, but let's actually go into what egg retrieval is like. So egg retrieval for different clinics is going to be a little bit different. I know most clinics are going to be very similar when it comes to how egg retrievals are done, obviously, because I feel like there's only one way to retrieve eggs, but protocols might be a little bit different. So I'm not really going to go specifically into any like medications or anything like that. But from what I know personally from our journey in IVF and what I've seen other people talk about on, you know, people I know personally or people I just watch on YouTube or anything like that, this has been something that is pretty much the same across the board. So to be able to prepare for egg retrieval. So before egg retrieval can happen, whichever partner is going to have their eggs retrieved, they have to start start a medical um, protocol called STEMS. So it's to stimulate. It's obviously it's a shortened version of stimulate because you are stimulating the eggs inside the ovaries to get bigger so that they can be sucked out and then fertilized with sperm. Protocol normally is about 10 days of STEMS. Some people go earlier depending on how quickly their eggs 
uh, grow. So some people can go as early as seven days and some people can go as late as 14 days. So in our experience, the we had to actually do two rounds of stems because the first round of stems did not, it pretty much just produced one big egg and all of the other eggs were still really, really small. So we had to go back to the drawing board and then just be super, a lot more aggressive the second time around to get um, a bunch of eggs to the same spot. So some things about going through Sims is that it is super uncomfortable, unfortunately. But I mean, if you think about it, you're literally growing eggs way bigger than the size that they naturally are, which means that your ovaries are getting bigger. So I think I've heard that uh, your ovaries get to be the size of a small orange, so one on each side. So it is really uncomfortable. My spouse said that they felt like really bloated, kind of just like a stuffed sausage, like there was just no room for anything to go and just really uncomfortable. So then uh, the day before the the day before the procedure, or I think it's like 36 hours before the procedure, the person, the partner getting the egg retrieval does a trigger shot. And then they go in for the egg retrieval. From my spouse's experience, they were in um, a lot of discomfort after the procedure. I know everyone is different, but yeah, they um, they had a couple days where they were just having a little bit of a hard time. So I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm just saying that it is potentially going to be a little bit more uncomfortable than what you imagine it to be. And some people bounce back totally fine. I mean, the people who get the egg retrieval done and then literally five days later get it trans- the embryo transferred right back into them superstars because that is just so much intensity (laughs) in such a short amount of time so yeah so that is the egg retrieval so then after the eggs are retrieved they are fertilized and nine times out of ten you are going to have less embryos than how many eggs were pulled from your body. So for example, for us, our breakdown was they extracted 13 eggs, 11 fertilized, and three were able to be frozen. So most of the time the numbers don't drop that much, but our fertility doctor like always says that each, um, at each part of the process of getting the embryos. So from retrieving them to then fertilizing to then seeing how they grow to then freezing. She says to always expect half, you'll lose half at every stage. For some people, that's not true. They were able to, whatever they retrieved, got all the way to uh, being frozen. But you just kind of have to keep that in mind is that whatever whatever the number is at the beginning might not always be the number at the end. So just take that with a grain of salt. I hope for everyone that anytime they have eggs retrieved, I always hope that they get that many embryos because that would be incredible. If you know, as soon as the eggs are pulled that you're good, that would be awesome. But it's unfortunately not how it works. So I just wanted to kind of put that on the table just so you know that 
like I said, our fertility doctor said to kind of expect it to be cut in half at every stage of the process of fertilizing and creating those embryos. All right, so now let's break, now we have embryos. Great. Let's break down the process in which, or the, sorry, the procedure of transferring that embryo back. So the the procedure for IVF and obviously reciprocal IVF, because it's the same, um, is extremely similar to the IUI. The only difference is that they are, it's a little bit more intensive on like confirming embryos are where they're supposed to be and stuff like that. Because obviously hospitals and clinics do not want a lawsuit. So the way our procedure went is the embryo is thawed an hour before we have our appointment. And then on the big screen, it has our embryo and then our name at the top. And we have to confirm that. And then the embryo gets sucked up into a catheter and like sits on the tip of the catheter. And while that is happening, the doctor inserts a speculum in. Then the um, at this point, like it is pertinent that you do not move at all. Like you want to be as still as a statue in this uh, procedure. And nine times out of 10, they do require you to have a full bladder so that it's easier to see where they're putting the embryo. So as that is happening, you are also getting an external sonogram. So they have the um, sonogram running on your stomach. The, I mean, sorry, the ultrasound. <laughs> uh, they have an external ultrasound. So they can see exactly where that uh, embryo is going. Then, you know, they place the, the embryo, which is so cool because you can see it on the ultrasound, which is kind of awesome. Not kind of, it's totally awesome. And then everything is pulled out. Doctor has you sit for about five to 10 minutes, just to kind of like, it's more that they like, I don't, for our doctor, it's more that they just like want you to like relax and just kind of like sit for a second. Then they have you get up, go to the bathroom, and then it's time to go home. So things you need to know about doing IVF, reciprocal IVF, there's probably more than these, but I'm talking specifically about the procedure. Uh, it might be uncomfortable. Like I said, a speculum is still involved. That's just something that comes with the territory. So unfortunately, it is something that you just kind of have to be aware of. And uh, again, you have to have a full bladder. I always am an overachiever and my bladder is always so full to the point where I am so uncomfortable <laughs> by the time the procedure starts. But I always feel like it takes a lot of liquid to feel like my bladder is full. So by the time the procedure is about to go, they're like, are you sure you're not going to like pee everywhere? And I'm like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> And the last thing that I suggest, because this is how our clinic is, and I, I'm sure all other clinics are very similar, wear cozy socks because they keep that place super, super cold. And plus, I don't know, I just am like, I always and forever will wear socks when my feet are up in stirrups because I don't want people looking at my nasty feet. So I always, um, I always, always, always wear socks, but I try to wear like nice cozy socks when going into uh, that procedure just because it is pretty cold. And I know that there is an old wives tale that says that you need to keep your feet warm when, um, after transferring a embryo. 
because it controls your body temperature or something like that. So that is the IVF, reciprocal IVF option for you. Let's get into the last medical option that you have, and that is surrogacy. So this is something I wanted to mention because not only do I know um, any, you know, male male partners who unfortunately um, either don't have uteruses or don't want to use their uteruses because I know there are men out there that do have them. Um, Surrogacy is a great option. So surrogacy, for anyone who doesn't know, is an arrangement in which a woman agrees to carry and give birth to a child on behalf of another person or couple. So the first thing I was wondering is how the heck do you even find a surrogate? And what I found is that the best way to find a surrogate is often with a matching professional or surrogacy agency, such as American Surrogacy. This is something I'm going to be talking specifically um, about in the United States. I know that other countries have different laws. Like when I was Googling things, I'm not going to get into every country, but when I was Googling things, I found that in India, surrogacy can only be an option if a heterosexual couple has been trying to have a baby for five years and they have to find a surrogate willing to carry their baby for free. So <laughs> that I mean that's what I that's what I understood from the article that I was reading. I could be wrong, but I just find it really interesting that they because I believe it said like they need to find a willing participant to be able to carry their child. So yeah, I I know other most countries are going to be very similar to the United States when it comes to their surrogacy laws and all that stuff. But yeah, it's just something to take into consideration and just kind of, you know, quickly, a quick Google search of surrogacy laws in insert country here will probably give you the best breakdown of um, what can and can't be done with surrogacy. So when you do choose the path of going through an agency, most of your process will be taken care of by a surrogacy um, specialist. So they will take care of kind of helping you find a surrogate, helping with setting up uh, medical procedures and payment plans and all that stuff. So what I did also learn about surrogacy is that um, the surrogate is paid by milestones. So because a lot of the question that came up is, well, what if the surrogate has a miscarriage? So she is paid. So she's paid via milestone. So she's paid at point of insemination. And then she's paid once there is a confirmed pregnancy. And then she's paid. um, So pretty much like you have like one number and then it's broken up into these milestones. And then she's paid at like 12 weeks and then 20 weeks and stuff like that. So that's how that's broken down. So the agency will help you with all of that. And what I assume happens is that you pay the agency the one lump sum and then they just kind of cut the checks to the surrogate at every milestone of the pregnancy. In the United States, and I'm sure it's very, very similar in other countries, the prospective surrogate must be at least 21 years old before she can be approved to be a surrogate. So yeah, so surrogates have to be at least 21, which makes a lot of sense because I feel like anything under that, I feel like um, the line of consent can be a little bit 
um, all over the place. So that is pretty much all I have on surrogacy. I am going to do a full... Oh, the other thing I wanted to say about surrogacy is that IVF is used. So in when you are using a surrogate, there is no biological part of the surrogate in that child. So either um, eggs are donated and eggs from the partners are used and then you get donor sperm or sperm is used and then you get donor eggs. So the surrogate will never have any sort of biological attachment to the child. The only thing is them carrying them for nine months, 10 months, sorry. So yeah, so that is something to also keep in mind is that whatever you have of sperm eggs, (laughs) um, if you are lacking one of those, then that is something that does have to be something that you grab from a donor, a separate donor. So, and then, like I said, IVF is a procedure that is used, obviously, because that's the only way to get the egg and the sperm together before going into the woman's body. Sorry, I'm just like talking really fast all of a sudden. But yeah, so that is all I have on all of your medical options. If there is a medical option out there that I've missed, um, please let me know. So I tried to do as much of a deep dive as possible. And these were the top four options that you could medically do to make a baby, get a baby. (laughs) Um, If you know of any medical procedures that I have missed here on how to get to a baby, please let me know by emailing me at ttcwellgbt at gmail.com. Or you can slide right into my DMs on Instagram at Danielle Marie IG, or even on Twitter at Danielle M. Newell. That has been our episode today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for all the support that I received on this podcast so far. I am, this is something that I like thrive in. Like I love doing this kind of research. I love being able to create this information for you guys. So what I will let you know, and what will also, I will also mention in every single episode, so you really don't have to remember this, but I do want to just say it. And that is that every single episode of this podcast will also have a blog post link to it that will be on my website, which is daniellemariemedia.com. Like I said, it will be linked in the show notes every single week. So it's not something that you have to like go and hunt down for, but every podcast will have a blog post affiliated with it just in case you need that information and need to kind of circle back to it. And you don't want to like have to listen to the whole podcast again to, I mean, you can listen to the whole podcast again, listen to my lovely voice, but if you just need some sort of specific information, you can easily just go to the blog post, go down to whatever procedure you were needing that information in and kind of going from there. Like I said, Thank you so much for listening. Um, If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the podcast. It really, really does help the podcast and get it out to more people. So the more ratings and reviews it has, the more people will see it, the more we can spread this information and create this lovely, lovely community of amazing people. And I like never know how to outro these things. But I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope that it was you gleaned something for it or maybe learned something that you didn't already know and that kind of opens up your options a little bit more on making those little LGBT babies. Just remember that I love you and don't forget that your fertility status is not your worth. I will talk to you next week on TTC While LGBT. Bye guys.